Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and I have a coffee in hand, so let's get started. I think Iowa has something against pumpkin spice lattes in August, and so because of that, I've been a bit upset, distraught, and disgruntled because... All of my uh, friends out on the East Coast and in other places, they've been posting pictures online of fall already starting to happen and their pumpkin spice lattes and all these things happening around them. And let's just say Iowa has been kind of slow to uh, get on the bandwagon. Out where I live, it's a rural community. And so a lot of the farmers and folks who live here probably aren't on board with a $3 or more cup of coffee. So there's not a lot of coffee places around. We have to go to the big city like Omaha. Usually, I like my coffee the way God intended you to drink it. Black and no cream, no sugar. Although during the fall and winter, I that's when I like to add some creamer to it. But uh, all right, I can handle waiting a few more weeks. I can do it. I can handle waiting. I'm sure I can. It'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, time to refocus here. Where was I? Right. Tomorrow, it looks like September is starting. We finally hit the burr months. I mean, I like summer for what it's worth, I suppose, but I, I just love the fall. The, the weather's more cooler. The fall colors are changing. And so we're going to celebrate that a bit today in our episode. The burr months are a great way to celebrate and to begin that long slide into Christmas. A couple of years ago, one September, my Christmas mood had kicked in full, and for the rest of the month I kept looking forward to Christmas more and more, and I kept saying to myself, only two more months, only two more months to go. And now for you perceptive people out there who can do math, you're probably already saying, no, that's not right. And yeah, you guessed it, I somehow forgot about October. And so then October comes around and I realize I had to start all over again and keep reminding myself there's only two more months, there's only two more months. That was when I realized what I had done was very discouraging. So if you tuned in last in the last episode, yeah, my seasonal denial disorder has been a thing for quite some time. Some exciting news. Uh, first of all, I hit a one of, I hope, many milestones. I had reached 500 downloads and it came on my birthday. So uh, that was exciting to see that people are out there and they're consistently downloading this even in the summer. And and I'm just excited to see what's going to be coming up. Speaking of birthdays, I received a wonderful gift this month, listener feedback. I got my first review on iTunes and it was from someone I don't think I've met online yet. They go by the name of hashtag Team Attic Wife. And I don't know their name or who they are, but if you're listening, you made my day. Thank you. And uh, they said some very nice things about me and my daughter uh, in the past episodes. For you other listeners, I'd love for you to go and rate and review that podcast. It helps people find us out. It's a free way for you to help the show. And I'm going to be having some um, giveaways and things coming up in the fall and I won't talk about that in this episode, but just just know that there are some things coming your way that hopefully you'll find exciting and uh, be a way to help spread the word of our show. 
Now, let's check in with Gracie and we'll see what she's been up to. All right, I'm here with Gracie, our Christmas correspondent. Hi. Gracie, how's life going? Life is fine. Oh, that's that's just it. Life is fine. Okay. Um, well, any uh, any signs of Christmas yet? Mm, not really. I mean, well, the leaf colors are starting to change, so that's a sign fall is coming, and fall is closer to winter, and winter is closer to Christmas. So exactly. it's practically here. That's right. Christmas is practically here. Uh, yeah, this morning on the way to school, I saw one tree that had a small clump of leaves that looked like they were turning yellow. Just so. a small clump, though. And um, update, as of this morning, I did find in the very deepest recesses of the grocery store a very small container of pumpkin spice coffee creamer. So I am happy now. <laughs> All right. Let's see. So Grace has started back to school. Um, yep. How's school going? You know, sixth grade is different, but good. So well, That's good. And um, everyone staying safe and all that at school? Yep. Good. We're all doing everything we can to stay safe, and there's ways we can do almost everything we did last year, so that's good for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it would drive me crazy not to be able to go to school, so, <clears throat> well, yeah. I, I don't we go have, anymore. <laughs> we have a couple of kids who are online, so mm. they're, you know, just for reasons... It's still nice to, because they're kind of there, like they're in front of our classroom, mm -hmm. and they do all the same things we do, just online, mm. so, oh, good. and it just keeps them safe if they have any, <coughs> yeah, yeah, if they have any sickness or anything, they can or just be safe aren't comfortable home. going to school yet, you know, right, yeah, good, glad so. to hear that, but we're all hanging in there, so, good, hmm? Let's see. Oh, how, how's your Christmas bears doing? Are they behaving? Oh, buddy. <laughs> yes, buddy the Christmas bear has been a little hyper, uh, but he, he will keep him under control. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the store today and I finally found some um, fall candy here. Uh-oh. Um, so what I got is uh, I got some... Pumpkin pie Kit Kats. Pumpkin pie Kit Kats. And, and some apple pie Kit Kats. Apple and pie Kit Kat, yep. We're going to try those and see if we like them. And we're going to say no, no, no if we don't like them. And ho, ho, ho if we like them. Okay. So. Well, shall we start with the uh, pumpkin pie Kit Kat? Uh, yeah. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to taste like, like throw up? Mm. It might. Just know if I spit it out. <laughs> all over the screen. You're cleaning it up. Alright, well, let's see. I can't smell them yet. Ew, I can smell like pumpkin spice. Alright. Wait, wait, wait. I haven't opened mine yet. Oh, they smell horrible. <laughs> oh, oh my. They, they smell like a candle. <laughs> Ready? I don't know if I can eat this. <laughs> Ready? Ready. Mm. They're not my favorite. Hmm. They're kind of spicy. Mm -hmm. They're actually kind of good. They're not yeah. too bad. That's actually not bad. I probably wouldn't eat it and eat it and eat it, but... No, I think I think one goes a really long way. <laughs> yeah. Although I do feel like I'm eating a candle right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But, you know, mm. 
There's a hint, just a very light hint of chocolate. And there's a lot of pumpkin spicy flavor. So it's actually pretty good. I didn't think it'd be good, but... I, I think one is, one is sufficient. I think half of one is sufficient. I ate my entire thing. <laughs> okay. So is that a, a ho-ho-ho or a no-no-no? I'd say ho-ho-ho. I mean, it's not my favorite, but, you know, I'll eat it. I think it might be a ho-ho-no-no. <laughs> the first couple of bites were fine, but after I swallowed it, it was kind of... Uh, tasted like regret. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I might have to might have to think about that. Yeah. So now we're moving um, on to apple pie. This is the one I'm kind of nervous about. Yeah, the apple pie Kit Kat. Ooh. Um, the uh, pumpkin pie one really had a strong taste, smell, and a strong taste. Yeah. So. Oh, I can smell it from over here. Um, I feel like maybe we should. Uh, ooh, it actually smells really good. Yeah, it does smell like apple. Like warm apple pie. No, well, I'm hungry. Hopefully, this won't taste bad with the pumpkin pie already in our mouth. But yeah, let's go. All right, here we go. Mmm. Mmm. Kind of tastes like white chocolate on the outside. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ooh. The aftertaste isn't my favorite. No, the aftertaste kind of, kind of weird. Oh, oh, it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say ho ho no because the beginning was fine, but the aftertaste blech. Yeah, this one might just be a no, no, no for me. <laughs> they take something really good and ruin it. <laughs> well. I'm trying a couple more bites. So I take another bite, yeah. Because, you know, it's chocolate. Well, this is why I have teenage boys. They'll eat anything. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, this one's a straight up no, no, no for me, I think. It's a... Uh, I've taken a couple more bites and just a minute. Or, how about I combine... The pumpkin pie with the apple pie one. Yes. Here we go. Hmm. Oh, oh man. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, can I try? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, Open! That really doesn't taste good. <laughs> oh, this one got mangled. <laughs> oh, I'm gagging. Okay. Well, I don't want my listeners to throw up, so. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not that bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. So, I guess if you really like the fall flavors, <coughs> pumpkin pie Kit Kats might be the way to go. But I'm fine over here. The apple pie one, I don't know. There's, It just doesn't really taste like you apple pie. You can try it, but it's not um, our favorite. But that's what we're here for is to try these things so you don't have to. And now um, we're going... Hold on. <laughs> and uh, so just think of us as your um, your food test dummies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess dummy might be the right word for it, huh? <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So um, you want to introduce this next part, Grace? Sure. So we were on our way to school this morning, and Dad and I were talking about stuff we could do on the Christmas podcast, and I mentioned Never Have I Ever, so we're doing Never Have I Ever Christmas style, so instead of just regular questions, we're doing Christmas questions. So we have our lucky Christmas jar over here, or what I suspect might be a Christmas jar. Christmas jar. Full of printed questions about Christmas, so I'm going to ask my dad a question, and then he'll answer, and then he'll do the same to me, and so on and so forth. Okay. Sounds like a plan. We'll just draw a random one. Draw a random one. All right. Okay. Have you ever peeked at a Christmas present before Christmas? Uh Uh-oh. Be honest. That's the one I told you not to ask me. 
I don't know. I just clicked <laughs> it. I have to say, on more than one occasion, I have peeked at presents. <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was very young and small, I would... My my parents would set out the presents that weren't from Santa. They would just set them out under the tree as soon as they bought them. So it could be even early December, we'd have presents under the tree. And seeing presents laying there when you're a kid, for two or three weeks, it was agony. And oh, yeah. so I would... I would see like peel back some tape and peek in or I would <laughs> press the paper down and look really close to see if I could f- see what it is. The qu- consequence, the consequence is that I got so good at it that for a while, even as an adult, I could sometimes even just push on a package and I would know what was inside. <laughs> and it, it would frustrate me because now as an adult, I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. Uh, and yeah. so now I tell my wife, don't give me any hints. Don't don't let me see the box. Don't do anything <laughs> because I'll guess what it is. It's my superpower. All right. My turn. Ooh, okay. I'm excited. Gracie, have you ever made paper snowflakes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of an easy one. Hmm, maybe should I look for a harder one? <laughs> no. Well, this one keeps coming up. Okay. Have you ever snuck downstairs on Christmas Eve before mom and dad were awake to scope out the presents? I have not. You have not? Are you lying? No. Okay, because I used to do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I would get up before mom and dad got up and I would, although we didn't have an upstairs, but I I snuck out. Well, not that I can remember anyway. I snuck out to the living room to see all the presents under the tree and uh, what Santa brought us in the stockings and no when i was little we have a tradition of keeping the tree completely lit overnight so all the lights are on so sometimes i get curious i when i was little i would get curious but i never really went downstairs and was like look at all the presents because like my dad said earlier i wanted to be surprised you know so i i may have i don't know if i should even admit to this but uh, i may have uh taken some candy from the stocking <laughs> that didn't belong to me. Dad! Alright. <laughs> Your turn. Have you ever worn a Santa hat in public, not at all dur- during Christmas time? Oh, so not during Christmas time. Have I ever worn a Santa hat? Out in public when it was not even close to Christmas time. Hmm. I'm going to probably say yes, <laughs> but it depends on your definition of Christmas time. Like, I'm saying summer. Oh, like in summer? Or like in, like, spring after Christmas. Um, no, probably not that far. But I have worn it early enough where people were giving me weird looks. Like September? I do wear Christmas t-shirts all year round. Well, some of them. He often jams to Christmas music all year round. Yes. Ask me how I know. Oh, and I have a pair of Scrooge... Um, pajama pants yeah, that I wear a lot. Yeah, he wears them a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, have you ever sent a letter to Santa at the North Pole? I don't know. I don't. I don't think you have. I know I haven't, which is unfortunate. I feel like I've missed out on some part of my childhood. Yeah. And yet Santa always seemed to know what to get me. Well, you're getting the easy ones. I'm getting the ones that require deep confessions. Well, I'm, it's not my fault. You're <laughs> the one who's picking. Did yes. you, is this the one? Yeah, that's one we already read. All right. Um, what? All right. Ask me another one. Oh. 
There's only so many in here, but all right. <laughs> Have you ever left out cookies for Santa Claus? Yes, I did do that when I was a kid a few times. We left out cookies for Santa, and I may have snuck out and nibbled on some of them. <laughs> Daddy! I, I know, I was ornery. <laughs> <laughs> you were a bad child. I was a bad child. You were a naughty child. All right, here we go, Gracie. Get me a, get me a Have you one. ever taken a bath in eggnog? Okay, who wrote these? <laughs> you! <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever taken a bath in eggnog? No! I don't think I want to know that. That'd be kind of a sticky experience, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Alright, let's try it. I'll give you another one. Here we go. Have you ever eaten a meat other than ham for Christmas? Oh. Maybe? But probably when I was probably like really little, then I don't remember. Yeah. But- we we usually do have a uh, spiral ham for Christmas. Christmas. Ugh, I can't imagine eating turkey. That's Thanksgiving. Well, when I was a kid, we would have turkey for Thanksgiving and turkey again for Christmas. And mm-hmm. I would go to my grandma's and grandpa's for Christmas a lot of the time, and they would have turkey also. So it was actually not until it, I, I married your mom that we started having ham for Christmas because that's what she always had. And when you get married and have differences of traditions, you compromise and you do what your wife tells you to do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's your turn. Ugh, we're almost out of questions. All right. Have you ever opened presents on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas morning? No, for shame. We do not open Christmas presents. Yes, you do. Okay. Usually we have... A we have one present and it's like Christmas pajamas and we do that on Christmas Eve, right? Yes, but I thought you've told me stories when you were kids. You used to open presents on Christmas Eve. No, no, uh, we would never. We'd always wait till Christmas morning. I thought you told me something. No, okay, um, I guess not. Actually, uh, my sister and her family now, her husband, they would open presents on Christmas Eve night. Do they and still? I don't know if they do that anymore, but do. that was a pretty serious point of contention, I think, for a while in their their marriage. Uh, because I am obsessively so that it has, except for the Christmas jammies, it needs to be on Christmas morning because that's what we've always done. And so, therefore, that's the right way to do it. <laughs> Tradition. All right. Must My be observed. Turn. All right. Have you ever... Slept in until at least 10 a.m. On, no! on Christmas morning. <laughs> Never! Me either, but I sure wish to want to sometime. And, well, I mean, I'm usually up past 10, a- 10 p.m. at night. No, 10 a.m. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying. All right, yeah, because uh, my wife and I, after we get the kids to bed on Christmas Eve, we have... Can you pass me a pumpkin Kit Kat? <laughs> oh, Okay. Oh, I just realized on this bag it says, good gourd, that's cute. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's funny. Anyway, sorry, where was I? Oh, yeah, Christmas Eve night, we get the kids to bed, and then my wife and I have fondue, which is a wonderful tradition. Her family did, but mine didn't, but we share that in in, in, uh, now, and I love that tradition uh, where we fondue some little pieces of meat, uh, like steak or chicken, 
and cheese and dough balls. It's great. Um, dough balls. Yeah, we, little dough balls. We fry them up and then we put like sugar, cinnamon and sugar on them. It's oh, delicious. Yeah. Anyway, uh, where was I going with this story? Oh yeah. So then, if there's any last presents we need to wrap, we get those wrapped and we get to bed pretty late. We have to hurry up because usually Santa's like right on our heels by the time we get to bed. And so then when we fall asleep, Santa does his quick dash in and stuffs the stockings and all that. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm beat the next morning and I just want to sleep in, which I could not even imagine as a kid sleeping in on Christmas morning. That was about as sacrilegious as opening presents on Christmas Eve. All right, Dad. Last question. Okay. I can do this. Okay. Have you ever bought a gift from someone from a wishing angel tree? Wishing slash angel tree. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, we've done that. Our local library has a angel tree or a wishing, a wishing tree. Mm-hmm. And we've done that before. We've, I can remember a few years ago, we did one for you. I mean, not for you, but we had a name for you to buy a present for. And this, this little girl mm-hmm. wanted oh, uh, a dolly. Mm-hmm. And you also wanted a dolly. Oh, no. And I, I think you were pretty young, maybe four or so. That wasn't a couple of years ago, then. That was like oh. seven years ago. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that was seven years ago. Um, you're <laughs> still know. only four or five in my mind. Uh, anyway, and then you were confused by this concept because you wanted the dolly. And, you know, we were trying to teach our kids to be giving and to think of others at Christmas time. And then here's our daughter who's <laughs> throwing a fit because she's getting the dolly, but she has to give it to somebody else. She doesn't even know what doll was. <laughs> I don't know. It was a baby doll. And, and I mean, you got like 20 of them at Christmas anyway, so it was fine. But <laughs> was I happy then? Was I content? Or did I still want that doll? I, yeah, you were, you forgot about it pretty quick, but yeah. it's one of those things where you want to have this great parenting moment and it just goes wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and I, you know, that's a great thing to do and, and that may be a good tradition to do this year, uh, for you folks, if you've never tried, done that before is to go to maybe your library or some local center and see if they yeah. have a, uh, uh, an angel tree. So, Dad, I have a, an embarrassing question for you. Uh-oh. Christmas, oh, never have I ever questioned. Okay. So, have you, well, not exactly embarrassing, but just funny. Have you ever sat on Santa's lap as an adult? Um, yes. <laughs> on more than one occasion. <laughs> How old were you? Um, it was last year. What? Maybe two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last time I did? <laughs> Talk about ho ho ho! <laughs> I crushed the poor fella, but oh, he he was a trooper. So <laughs> I've never sat on Santa's lap. Oh well, I see. I sit on his lap for you. So <laughs> yeah, when you were younger, you felt weird sitting on Santa's lap. I remember. I get. Uh, I literally get scared of him. Yeah. Like I'd see him at the library. I'm like. Ah! Yes, I, I can see that. Um, but uh, all right, well, that, that wraps it up, I think, mm-hmm. for today. We'll see you all later. Wait, I got a joke. We have to end with a joke. Oh, yeah, a joke. Okay. Oops. What do you call a really old snowman? Hmm. What? Water. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's enough fun for today. Uh, we'll see you later. I might try another one of these... Uh, Sticks of regret. I'm 
kind of have a stomachache. Don't eat anymore. Well, pumpkin pie Kit Kat or apple pie Kit Kat. Let's see what we'll give them to their to to the boys. They'll eat them. Yep. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed last episode's story, A Christmas Dinner. I enjoyed reading it, and I can't wait to do more in the months ahead. As Dickens starts off his essay, he does so with all the zest and energy you've come to expect. That opening line is just beautiful. He says, Christmas time, that man must be a misanthrope indeed, in whose breast something like a jovial feeling is not roused, in whose mind some pleasant associations are not awakened by the recurrence of Christmas. That's a great opening, and he really does uh, zingers with those openings, doesn't he? So to Dickens, as he's writing here as a young man, he's, Christmas is a time of great cheer and joy, and that you must really be a, a Grinch to not be excited about Christmas. Well, hmm, a Grinch or a Scrooge? And this opening sentence already tells us about his later work, A Christmas Carol. I mean, think about that. Scrooge does not find Christmas to to rouse him with those pleasant associations that Dickens writes about here. And he says, if if that if Christmas does not rouse that in you, you must be a misanthrope indeed. You must be someone who hates mankind, who is grouchy, who is grumpy. And man, we, we think about who Scrooge was at the beginning of the story of A Christmas Carol, and we see that theme there again played out in the life of Ebenezer Scrooge. Dickens goes on in his his story, he says that there are people who will tell you that Christmas is not to them what it used to be, that, and then he he talks about how the misfortunes and the adversities of life have kind of worn them down, and that some of them carry so much weight and so much heartache that they're upset and that they're um, sad throughout the whole year. And he says that there are few men who have lived long enough in the world who cannot call up such thoughts any day in the year, then do not select the merriest of the 365 for your doleful recollections and draw your chair near the blazing fire, he says. You know, come, on, come alongside and let's have a drink and let's celebrate Christmas. He tells them we all have enough worry that we can worry any day of the year. Let's set Christmas Day aside to not worry. On Christmas Day, let's do that. Let's be happy. Let's rejoice. And it's a good message that he has for us. You know, he's, he says, let's gather by the fire, let's fill our glass, send round the song. And if things are bad this year, and if they are worse this year than they were last year, he tells them, thank God, it's no worse. Uh, this is such a young man's perspective. And, and we're, we'll talk about that in a minute. Another interesting part, he, he says, he continues on in the story, he says, look on the merry faces of your children, if you have any, as they sit around the fire. So he wants the family to gather around the fire. He wants you to lay aside your, your burdens, your heartache, and not dwell on the past. But then he mentions children, and he says, one little seat may be empty, one slight form that gladdened the father's heart and roused the mother's pride to look upon may not be there. And here we have perhaps the the initial beginnings, the shadow of what Tiny Tim will be in in A Christmas Carol. He takes that theme and again explores it later on. What he then says is interesting, and I think and I think this is a young man's perspective. 
He says, dwell not upon the past. Think not that only one short year ago, the fair child now resolving into dust sat before you with the bloom of health upon its cheek and the gaiety of infancy in its joyous eye. Let's think about that for a moment because it almost sounds like he's being callous. But I think he is encouraging you to not let those sad feelings, those those tragedies of the past dwell on you. But like I said, Dickens was a, was a young man when he wrote this. I think he was only around 24 years old or so. He, it was in 1835. He wasn't married yet. Um, he had had some tragedy in his life, but none like that which was to come. He was still a young man, full of life. After he was married uh, to Catherine Hogarth, and that was in 1836, I believe, or thereabouts. Um, so it was shortly after he wrote this story. Catherine's sister Mary came to live with them, and Dickens became very close to Mary. Um, and I don't think there was any kind of an affair going on. I, I know some speculate that, but Dickens was just a very unusual man. Personally, I think uh, that he became close friends with Mary, and she became almost his confidant to him. Unfortunately, in some ways, fulfilling a role for him that perhaps his wife should have, but I digress. Uh, but anyway, Dickens was very close to Mary, and unfortunately, she died very suddenly in May of 1837. Uh, and, and this, and she was only, uh, Mary was only 21 years old. Dickens biographer Peter Aykroyd says this that his grief, this is a quote from his biography, he says, his grief was so intense in fact, that it represented the most powerful sense of loss and pain he was ever to experience. And the deaths of his own parents and children were not to affect him half so much. Um, anyway, there's a whole study on Mary Hogarth, and you could read more about that. You'll see throughout his writings that Dickens was impacted by Mary, and he writes her into many of his upcoming stories and novels. Then in May excuse me, in March 1838, Catherine gives birth to a daughter and they name her Mary. She, she becomes known as Mammy. She was named after her dead aunt, Mary. Catherine and, and Charles had several children in the years following. There was a fourth child that came and then several miscarriages happened. And then their fifth child was born in January of 1844, only about a month after A Christmas Carol was published. Okay, so all that to say this. Compare what he wrote about a child's death in 1835, where he says, dwell not upon the past. You know, he's tender in his words, but he says almost bluntly that this child is now resolving into dust and they sat before you. And anyway, they're gone now and put that, don't dwell upon the past. Look at the now and be excited with and be happy with what you do have. And I think it really contrasts when he writes that scene of Christmas yet to come in A Christmas Carol, when Tiny Tim is dead, and we see this this tender, tender scene of Robert coming home, and he's dejected, and he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And his wife asks him, uh, you went today then, Robert, said his wife. And, and you know, he went to visit the, the grave, I think it was. But he answers, yes, my dear, returned Bob. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little child, cried Bob. My little child. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. If he could have helped it, he and his child would have been farther apart, perhaps, than they were. 
he left the room and went upstairs into the room above, which was lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child, and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down in it, and when he had thought a little and composed himself, he kissed the little face. He was reconciled to what had happened, and went down again quite happy. In my mind, this writing here is a different man than what he wrote in 1835. He has experienced grief. He has, he understands now that for a child's passing, it is a heavy weight and burden, and he gets it now. Still, there there is that sense of being restored and being recovered, but it's approached more soberly. And I, you know, if we had time, I would love to look at other stories of Dickens and see how that view progresses, and maybe he has a deeper and deeper understanding of the 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 depth and the grief that comes from losing children or, or losing a loved one. Dickens certainly has experienced grief, and he's been in resolving himself to it, but also learning from it. Anyway, now in that scene in A Christmas Carol, I, I mean, whenever I see it, I, I can't help but tear up, and whenever I read it, I can't help but tear up. This is now being written by a man who understands that those difficulties are not so easily gotten over, even on Christmas Day. So back to uh, A Christmas Dinner, I, I like what he says following that. He says, reflect upon your, your present blessings of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. Fill your glass again with a merry face and contented heart. I love that. He says, you know, don't dwell on your past misfortunes. Everyone has some. He says, look on your present blessings. Every man has many. And, you know, when you're discouraged, when you are frustrated or overwhelmed or whatever you find yourself, I know Christmas can be a crazy time of year, that's this is such great advice. So take a moment and just remember your blessings, your present blessings. What do you have now that you can be thankful for? What can you celebrate? And then what's interesting in Dickens' story, he then goes transitions into talking about the Christmas family party. That that's what he has to think about and ponder and celebrate over. And he says that great line, there seems a magic in the very name of Christmas that Petty jealousies and discords are forgotten, social feelings are awakened, and, and there's, there's reunion, and there's redemption, and there's restoration. That's what Christmas is to Dickens. And that's what we see the foundations of here in the story, and he explores that line and, and that thinking throughout his novels, not just the Christmas ones. I like that he says that all the children look forward to the Christmas family party for two months beforehand in a fever of anticipation. Um, isn't that great? Um, the Christmas creep, I suppose, is coming even back in Victorian England. I like how he des- describes the grandpa, that uh, calls him Grandpapa. He will always, will, toddle down all the way to Newgate Market to buy the turkey. And it's like this triumphant procession back to the house with the turkey. And he has the porter coming, and he invites the porter in, and they drink to Christmas, and they celebrate and say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And of course, the next day they they go to church, and and grand, grandpapa takes the children to church. Meanwhile, grandmama's at home getting everything ready for the the Christmas dinner. A, a couple of things to point out here: Grandpa pulls out the mistletoe from his pocket when they get home to tempt the boys to kiss their little cousins under it. You know, today we, we read this with our mindset. Today we're we're like, oh, that's that's kind of gross. 
again, some of the things back then were more allowed or more accepted than they are today. Just little things like that can help you not be completely skeeved out by um, by what's happening in the story. Anyway, not something we would do today, but um, and maybe it was just a, a family type kiss. But it follows that Grandmama thinks Grandpapa is being being uh, not following decorum, but. Then Grandpapa shares the story of when he was 13, he kissed Grandma under the mistletoe, and the children think that's so sweet, and they clap their hands, and they laugh very heartily. You know, I I love that part. It's it's such a sweet... I mean, that, to me, is Dickens right there. You know, that celebration of a loving family. For those of you who know anything about Dickens' life, you know that this is his the ideal for his family, and yet he himself at times struggled to get this ideal, that he did not always have this in his family. Well, this is not a, a gossipy podcast, I guess, but you you know, he, he was not perfect. And you know, none of us are. And, and besides, perfect people are boring, right? <laughs> but I think that's interesting that he he strives for this and he promotes this, and, and you could even say he preaches this in his stories, but yet it was what he himself lacked so many times. Uh, in his own life. All right, so they uh, continue to celebrate, and the visitors come. We get one interesting visitor, poor Aunt Margaret, who has been ostracized in the family because she married a poor man without consent. And again, I see shades of Chris- of a Christmas carol here with Scrooge's nephew, Fred, that he married, and Scrooge is holding that against him in some way. And remember that scene, he says, why did you marry? You know, and, and Fred says, well, we were in love and all that kind of thing. But Dickens says here that they accept her in, they accept her husband in, and he says, Christmas has come round, and the unkind feelings that have struggled against bitter dispositions during the year have melted away before its genial influence. Again, Christmas is a time of redemption, of restoration and forgiveness, a time to make wrongs right again. I had to laugh over this one line. He says, as to the dinner, it's perfectly delightful. Nothing goes wrong and everybody is in the very best of spirits and disposed to please and be pleased. If only, right? <laughs> How many people's Christmas dinners have gone absolutely perfect? I mean, sometimes it happens, but you know, when you get family together, sometimes there's just this simmering tension beneath and it's all you can do to, to keep the peace. And you just got to... You know, sometimes you just get in, get your food, and get out. But I love how they celebrate family in the story. That Uncle George tells stories. He carves the poultry. He takes wine. He jokes with the children. And this line that I can't believe I read with a straight face, but it says, and he winks at the cousins that are making love or being made love too. Again, what we have here are some cultural differences in how we use words. That back in, you know, the 1840s, that phrase meant that they were just flirting and, and being playful with each other. Today, <laughs> I was like, whoa, what's happening here? Okay, that's right. I got to remember what I'm reading and what time it was written. Uh, so they uh, bring out this gigantic pudding with a sprig of holly on top. There's such laughing, shouting, clapping of hands. Again, this is the scene from the Cratchit's Christmas uh, when they are bringing out the the goose and it's perfect and and Bob Cratchit and says that this, this, this was... Um, you know, the best accomplishment his wife has, had ever made, you know, accepting the children, of course. And then the story ends, and he says that this Christmas dinner does more to help one another, does more 
for each other and to perpetuate their good feelings during the rest of the year than half the homilies that have ever been written by half the divines that have ever lived. What Dickens is saying is that a good Christmas, a good family Christmas dinner will do more good for you than half the sermons that have ever been written, delivered by half the the speakers or the divines, maybe even um, half the messages that God could bring from heaven. That's how much he sees the impact of a good family Christmas dinner. <laughs> Man, he had some high standards. I mean, how do you how do you live up to that? <laughs> that this Christmas dinner is going to do you more good than the best sermon you've ever heard. And and I think he's got a point. I think he's got a point that if we can put our differences aside and not just give a lecture, but actually to sit down and celebrate with each other, to sit down and talk, to sit down and enjoy a meal. Instead of fighting, instead of arguing, instead of lecturing, maybe he's got a point that maybe that can help in restoring a relationship. Hmm, it's worth a thought. Anyway, that's um, so that's Dickens' stories, and those are some thoughts I've had about his story. And I wanted to look more into what Dickens did for Christmas. We have some detailed account in letters and other writings, but one of the best ones that I've found is one that's actually written by his daughter, Mammy, in her book, uh, My Father As I Recall Him. It's a short book of her reminiscences of, of Dickens. And I know some people discredit it or criticize it for being a, a, an inaccurate portrayal of him, that it's not written with the cold eye of the biographer, you know, that it's it's all very flowery and very speaks very highly of him. You know, I'm okay with that because, you know, she's his daughter. And I would hope after I'm gone that my daughter would not remember my failings, but would remember the good times. And yeah, that might make for a an inaccurate biography, but I, I think I get it. I think I get it. And it's a really neat little story just to get her perspective on Dickens. And anyway, I want to read to you some selections from that of what she wrote about them and their Christmas time. So Mammy Dickens writes in her book, in chapter 2, Christmas was always a time which in our home was looked forward to with eagerness and delight. And to my father it was a time dearer than any other part of the year, I think. He loved Christmas for its deep significance as well as for its joys. And this he demonstrates in every allusion in his writings to the great festival a day which he considered should be fragrant with the love that we should bear one to another, and with the love and reverence of his Savior and Master. Even in his most merry conceits of Christmas, there are always subtle and tender touches which will bring tears to the eyes, and make even the thoughtless have some special veneration for this most blessed anniversary. In our childish days, my father used to take us every 24th day of December to a toy shop in Holborn, where we were allowed to select our Christmas presents, and also any that we wished to give to our little companions. Although I believe we were often an hour or more in the shop before our several tastes were satisfied, he never showed the least impatience, was always interested, and as desirous as we, that we should choose exactly what we liked best. As we grew older, present giving was confined to our several birthdays, and this annual visit to the Holborn toy shop ceased. And uh, again, I'm just going to read some selections 
she talks about dancing and learning to dance with him and how they prepare to dance for Christmas parties they would have and what that would look like. And it sounds really, really fun. I, I am not a dancer. I would love to learn how to dance like they would. Okay, and so in the next section I want to read from chapter 2, she talks about Christmases at Gad's Hill, which is the house he had bought later in life, and that's where he eventually um, died, was in, in that house. So she says this, Our Christmas Day dinners at Gad's Hill were particularly bright and cheery, some of our nearest neighbors joining our home party. The Christmas plum pudding had its own special dish of colored china, ornamented with holly. The pudding was placed on this with a sprig of real holly in the center, lighted, and in this state placed in front of my father, its arrival being always the signal for applause. A prettily decorated table was his special pleasure, and from my earliest girlhood the care of this devolved upon me. When I had everything in readiness, he would come with me to inspect the results of my labors before dressing for dinner, and no word except of praise ever came to my ears. He was a wonderfully neat and rapid carver, and I am happy to say taught me some of his skill in this. I used to help him in our home parties at Gad's Hill by carving at a side table, returning to my seat opposite him as soon as my duty was ended. On Christmas Day we all had our glasses filled, and then my father, raising his, would say, Here's to us all. God bless us. A toast which was rapidly and willingly drunk. His conversation, as may be imagined, was often extremely humorous, and I have seen the servants who were waiting at table convulse often with laughter at his droll remarks and stories. Now as I recall these gatherings, my sight grows blurred with the tears that rise to my eyes, but I love to remember them and to see, if only in memory, my father at his own table, surrounded by his own family and friends, a beautiful Christmas spirit. It is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself was his own advice, and advice which he followed both in letter and spirit. Of course, you recognize that quote from A Christmas Carol. Now she concludes just the chapter in this way. And in writing thus of these dear old holidays, when we were all so happy in our home, and when my father was with us, let me add this little postscript and greet you on this Christmas of 1896 with my father's own words. Reflect upon your present blessings of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. Fill your glass again with a merry face and contented heart. Our life on it, but your Christmas shall be merry, and your new year a happy one. So may the new year be a happy one to you, happy to many more whose happiness depends on you. So may each year be happier than the last, and not the meanest of our brethren or sisterhood debarred their rightful share in what our great Creator formed them to enjoy. And that's the Christmas toast that she gives, and, and that Dickens would give uh, from this, from what I can understand from her writing. And I really like that. That may everyone, our brother and sister, not and not even the poorest of them, be debarred or or be held back their rightful share and what our great creator formed them to enjoy. Now, I think those are some incredible memories, and that's one of the best things about Christmas and holidays in general. Um, Having the time, having that time to make memories that last. Like I said, his daughter may be remembering him through through rose-colored glasses, but as I said, that's okay. You know, I'd rather be remembered for the best of times I had with my family than the worst of times. 
Sorry, couldn't help it. His story reminds me of the Christmases I was able to spend with my grandparents. I have fond memories of the times I spent with my grandma and grandpa, especially at Christmas time, especially my grandmother. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Ruth Bragstead was born on November 18, 1921, so almost 100 years ago, and she died on December 6, 2001. She was born into a Norwegian family. They were an immigrant family. I am named after her father, Arthur Bragstead, and from what I have learned of him, he was a, a very gentle soul and found ways to help his country during World War I that did not involve fighting. He was a part of the Red Cross, I believe. He was a chaplain, but he did a lot after the war helping those who were in need. He established an orphanage. He also built a, um, a senior home for uh, basically a nursing home up in Wisconsin. He was a, a very generous, a very kind man, and uh, he's one of my heroes. Uh, and then, of course, that was my grandma's dad, and so she, I think, learned much from him. She served her country during World War II as an army nurse, and she even held a rank, which she thought that was pretty special. She was stationed in the Philippines, and fortunately it was after the Bataan Death March events that happened there. She missed that, but not by much, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, my grandparents did not talk much about their time in the war, but uh, I was told that she worked in the hospital taking care of wounded soldiers that were coming from the front lines and that she saw many horrific things. And uh, years later, she still could not handle loud noises like fireworks. It reminded her of the war and, and the things she saw there. So every 4th of July, you'd find her, you know, staying inside. She, my grandpa would take us to go enjoy the fireworks, but she wouldn't come because it, it would give her flashbacks to the war. In spite of all the horror that she saw, she continued to be one of the sweetest, loving, and caring people you would ever hope to meet. She and my grandpa were married after World War II, and they eventually settled in a little town called Florissant, Missouri, which is not so little these days. It's pretty much considered a suburb of St. Louis now, from what I understand. My grandpa worked as an engineer at McDonnell Douglas for his whole career, and he helped to design parts of the, uh, I think it was the Gemini rocket, and then later fighter jets. He, he helped design some of those that came out in the, you know, in the 60s and 70s. They were amazing people and accomplished a lot in their life. When my grandfather passed away, close to his final years, he was still volunteering in nursing homes and being involved in Meals on Wheels and things like that. Just loving, caring people. And I found out all of this years later. When I was a kid, I only knew them as grandma and grandpa, and I loved to visit them. And we lived about, it was about a five-hour drive um, so it was always an exciting adventure to get to see them, especially at Christmas time. Um, so the night before we'd we'd leave for a fluorescent, I would not be able to get any sleep at all. It's possible I was more excited to see them than I was to get presents. We'd get up early in the morning and hit the road. It, it would feel like five or six o'clock in the morning. It was maybe not even that late, but or that early. We would take a, a long drive across Illinois. We crossed the bridge into Missouri, and finally we would see her house. Uh, you know, that, that glimpse when we turn down the road and go into the cul-de-sac and we'd see the ro the house at the end of the road. Oh, man, it would just, we would just be so excited we could hardly wait. And then we get to the front door and they would always be there to greet us every time. And they would give us hugs. We'd smell food. There was always food cooking. It was just perfection. 
At Christmas time, my grandma and grandpa always had fun things planned for us. Now, my grandpa, he must have been one of Santa's helpers because sometime when we were visiting, my grandpa would sneak off to his bedroom, dress up like Santa Claus, and then come out of his room. And, and we would never know when it would happen, but we knew it would happen. Uh, I remember clearly him doing this at least a couple of times. You know, we'd sit on his lap and we'd tell him what we wanted for Christmas. I never needed to go to a mall Santa. You know, we never needed to go to one of those. Uh, I always would tell people, my grandpa is Santa Claus. Uh, and I had pictures to prove it. And then later, as I got older, I realized that grandpa and Santa would never, you know, be in the same room together kind of thing. Uh, that's when I started telling people my, my grandpa was Santa. That's the conclusion I came to, was that, you know, that my grandpa was Santa. But then later, of course, I learned that he was just one of Santa's helpers. In fact, my dad um, now carries on the family tradition and has played Santa. And I am really excited about someday when my beard finally goes white, and, I, and I've been working on my Santa bod here. I can continue on that tradition and maybe help Santa out during the Christmas season. That's on my uh, Christmas bucket list. The, the food that Grandma would, would make for us. You know, we'd come to breakfast. It'd be all of our favorite cereal. We'd have coffee cake and, and uh, Norwegian waffles, I think they were called. And, oh, and, and of course, Lefsa. There'd be Lefsa to eat. Uh, she was a, a full-blooded Nor Norwegian, let me tell you. Um, and at dinner time, oh man, there'd be so much food, it would make the table groan. And then we'd all be groaning after we ate. And we always had just so much fun, especially there at Christmas time. And there were decorations everywhere, Christmas lights, Christmas presents, activities. There were cousins um, who we didn't kiss under the mistletoe, <laughs> okay? But there, it was such a great, fun time. But by far, as I look back at it now as an adult, what I didn't appreciate as a kid so much, but now, for me, the most enjoyable time was sitting with them around the dinner table as a family. Those moments were precious to me, and the conversations we had and the laughter we had was what now I find to be the most important thing that we did back then. And today, that old dining room table that used to be at their house sits in my dining room. I was able to get it from them when uh, my, my grandfather passed away in 2012. Uh, my family said, well, we're, we're getting rid of a lot of the furniture and things. So if there's anything you want, you need to come and get it. And I knew I wanted the dining room table. I also got their china hutch that sat behind the table in their dining room. And now I think the tradition continues that my family sits around this table and we enjoy Christmas dinners and we enjoy family time together around that table. It's just an article of furniture, but it has so much memory uh, and, and so much precious memory uh, in it. My, my grandma passed away, as I said, on December 6, 2001. She had complications from a, a cancerous tumor, and uh, that was very difficult, especially happening in the Christmas season. And you know, when Charles Dickens passed away, the story is told that there was a, a girl in London who asked, Mr. Dickens is dead? Then will Father Christmas die too? I kind of understand that now. You know, Dickens has become so connected to Christmas the same is true of my grandma and both my grandma and grandpa, that when she died, there's, there was this loss that there are Christmas memories now that we can't recreate in that same way. And so that's why we share these stories. And that's why I want to share more of your stories on, on this podcast is to keep those stories alive and to remember what Christmas was and that we can create these new 
memories with our own families. And so this Christmas time, it's so important to connect with our family. I'd love for you to make new memories. And, and grandparents, you know, I, I hope that you're able to have a part in your in your grandkids' lives. And, and parents, too, it, it's the simplest, those simple acts of kindness that can make the greatest memories. I'm looking forward to uh, next month. We'll be in around September 15th. I'll drop the next episode. In next month episode, we shall get poetic. Pip, pip. Sorry, that was an awful accent. Uh, Sorry to all my British listeners. Please keep listening. I promise I'll never do that again. I've, I've been collecting some Christmas poems, and I want to read some of those to you and uh, tell you some history behind um, some of them. Uh, there'll probably be at least one familiar one to you, but I'm, I've been really looking for ones that I am not familiar with, and I've, I think I've found some gems. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll have some more fun as well. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you could go and uh, subscribe or like the podcast, that'd be helpful. Um, there's some other uh, ways you can help us out. Uh, you can check out the show notes for those. And so until I see you again, remember to be kind to each other, to never eat yellow snow, to share your stories, and that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.